0: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
1: Fatima Cigarettes, best of long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet.
0: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to homicide detail. A vicious killer has taken the life of a 62-year-old woman. Suspicion points in only one direction. The murderer was heartless, cold-blooded. Your job, get him.
2: If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. It's the long cigarette that contains an essential ingredient... of all the very popular cigarettes, Turkish tobacco... That's why you see the turkey symbols on the attractive golden yellow Fatima package. That's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima doubles and redoubles its smokers. Yes, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima.
1: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police
3: force in action. It was Saturday, November 5th. It was foggy in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of homicide. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. It was 3.35 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. Long distance. This is Friday in Homicide. I'd like to place a call to Mr. Frank Renard in Murphy, Idaho. The number is 761.
4: Frank Renard, Murphy, Idaho, 761.
3: Yeah, that's right. The call's been cleared with the business office.
4: All right. Uh, Do you want me to call
3: you back, Sergeant? No, I'll hang on.
4: Okay, I'll place it for you. Long distance? Long distance, Mr. Frank Renard, Murphy, Idaho. Murphy, 761. Thank you. New Haven,
5: Connecticut. Your number, please.
4: Charge the call to Madison, 7961. Thank you. The time in charge is when the call's completed, operator. Rate operator?
5: The Premier
4: yes, Murphy, Idaho, routing and person rate. Okay. Tuesday, NAM, PA, NASA. Sorry. Hi. Hi. You, the number is 3. 4C. One. 160 plus. 160, thank you. You're welcome. Through Boise. I'm calling Napa. Oh. Murphy seven six one. Thank you. Keep ringing seven six one.
3: They're ringing the number, sergeant. Okay, thanks.
4: renard please los angeles calling who do you
6: want mr frank renard please los
3: angeles calling i'm frank renard go ahead please all right sergeant go ahead hello hello Uh, hello frank renard yeah who's this this is sergeant friday los angeles police department i've got an urgent message for you
6: for me well what's the matter
3: well your wife dolores asked me to call you something's happened to your mother I better let your wife tell you. She wants you back in Los Angeles right away. Look,
6: what's this all about? I can't leave my job now.
3: You better come. Your mother's been murdered. Talk to the skipper, Joe. He's on his way in. That's good.
5: Did you call my husband? Did you?
3: He's flying down from Idaho tonight. Be here in the morning.
5: You tell him about me, the trouble I'm in?
3: I told him his mother was murdered. That's all I told him, Mrs. Renard.
5: What am I going to say to Frank? He always sided in with his mother. He'll never believe me. What can I tell him?
2: Jury can give you more trouble than your husband can. What are you going to tell them?
5: Are you stupid or something? How many times do I have to say it? I didn't kill her. I didn't kill her.
3: It's a small room, Mrs. Renard. We can hear you. Sit down, please.
5: I won't sit down. You're not pinning this on me because I didn't do it. Anybody could have killed the old hag, but I didn't.
3: Will you sit down, please? I don't
5: have to take this. I'm no tramp. Keeping me in here, asking me questions. I told you all I know.
3: Look, you're in a bad spot. I hope you realize that.
5: I didn't kill her.
3: Miss Renard, how long have you and your mother-in-law been living together in the house on Chavez Road?
5: Since Frank took the job up in Idaho. About six months. He said it'd be better for me while he was away living with her.
7: Your neighbors told us you didn't get along very well with your mother-in-law.
5: That's right, I didn't. She hated me, I hated her.
3: You used to fight with her, is that right? You hit her.
5: Only a couple of times. She called me dirty names. I hit her. She pulled me by the hair. And I hated her like everything. I didn't kill her.
3: Once more, Ms. Renard, would you mind telling us how you spent your time since early this morning, where you went, what you did, everything?
5: I told you already everything.
3: Will you tell us again, please?
5: I got up about quarter to nine. I had a cup of coffee and then I got dressed. The old lady was on the back porch doing the washing.
3: What did your mother-in-law do for a living?
5: I told you. She took in washing. After I got dressed, I left the house. About ten minutes after nine, I went downtown to the dentist. He filled a tooth for me. This one here, you can ask him.
3: What time did you leave the dentist's office?
5: About quarter after ten. Maybe twenty after. You can ask him. What did
3: you do after that?
5: I walked around window shopping.
3: Did you buy anything? Talk to anybody?
5: I told you no.
3: What time did you get home?
5: Half past twelve. I went in the bedroom. The old lady was on the floor. Blood all over. I felt her heart it wasn't beating.
3: Is that when you got the blood on your dress?
5: Yeah. Now that's all I'm gonna say. Three times I told you the same story already. And you
3: still can't account for your time between 10.20 this morning and the time you found the body and called the police at 12.30.
5: I told you, I left the dentist, I went window shopping, then I walked home. And
2: during that time, you didn't talk to anyone and no one saw you?
5: Lots of people saw me, people on the street downtown. I'm no tramp, I don't talk to everybody. None
3: of your neighbors saw you come home, Ms. Renard? Of
5: course they didn't see me. I cut across the back lot up from San Jose Avenue. I came in the back way.
3: The lady who lives next door to you, she says she was in the backyard about noontime. She stayed there till after one o'clock. She didn't see you come in the back way.
5: Then she's a liar. She's a dirty liar.
3: You and your husband took out an insurance policy on your mother-in-law last year. Is that right, Ms. Renard?
5: Sure it is. What of it?
3: Five thousand dollars.
5: Yeah, so what?
3: You know a man by the name of George Martino? No. You better tell the truth, Ms. Renard. All
5: right, so I do. He's a friend of mine.
3: You've been running around with him since your husband's been away.
5: None of your business. I do what I want. Your
3: mother-in-law found out about Martino. That's what you fought about most of the time. Oh, she was crazy. He's
5: a friend of mine, that's all.
3: Are you telling the truth, Ms. Renard?
5: Martino's a boyfriend of mine. I told you, that's all.
3: Your mother-in-law found out you were running around with him. She warned you if you didn't shake Martino, she'd write your husband. You said you'd kill her if she did. That's
5: a lie.
3: That's what your mother-in-law told one of the neighbor ladies. Well,
5: I said it just to scare her. One night I was drinking. We had a fight. She was yapping at me all night. I said it just to scare her.
3: But she wrote the letter anyway.
5: And that's what she said. But I didn't kill her.
7: You had the time, the motive, and the opportunity.
5: It wasn't me. I didn't kill her.
3: Interrogation room, Friday.
6: This is Brennan, Joe.
3: Yeah, Bill. Where are you?
6: Santa Monica. Picked up George Martino. Mm-hmm.
3: Ben and I drove Mrs. Renard to Lincoln Heights Jail, fifth floor, and had her booked on suspicion of 187 PC. When we checked back in at the office, Brennan and Wiseman, the other two men on the case with Ben and I, were questioning George Martino in the interrogation room. Ben and I stood by. Martino admitted only two things. He had been running around with Mrs. Renard since her husband left town, and he had heard Mrs. Renard express a desire to do away with her mother-in-law. After the questioning of Martino, Sergeant Brennan, Ben and I met with Chief Ed Backstrand. It was 5.15 p.m.
7: You got everything but the murder weapon, huh? That and Mrs. Renard's confession. She ought to come through, huh, Joe?
3: I don't know. She's scared, but she's still got a smart mouth. What about Martino, Brennan? You think he had a hand in it?
6: I don't think so. We spent most of the afternoon talking to him. He hasn't got the guts. We took a statement.
3: And does he have an alibi?
6: Solid. What was the cause of death? Strangulation, multiple fractures of the skull. All the motives are with Mrs. Renard, Chief. Pretty clear-cut job.
7: No evidence of robbery or burglary, I guess. A couple of the dresser drawers in her bedroom were emptied on the floor. and Clothes tossed all around. Pretty obvious plan to make it look like burglary. Maybe. We
3: found three $1 bills in plain sight. They were on the floor near the body. If a burglar went through this stuff, he wouldn't have
7: missed that money. uh, It shouldn't be too much trouble tying it up. Shouldn't be, Skipper. Friday and Romero, you follow the case through. Oh, just a minute. Hello, Backstrand. Yeah? What? All right, I'll send him over. Lee Jones just finished checking the evidence at the crime lab. Yeah? He thinks Mrs. Renard's innocent. <laughs>
8: There they are, fellas. Facts don't lie. But she had every reason in the world to kill the old lady. In my book, she couldn't have killed her. All right, let's have it, Lee. How does the evidence add up? That's just it, Joe. It doesn't. Take a look. Uh-huh. The dress Mrs. Renard was wearing when she found the body.
3: That's it. Blood smears near the hem.
8: Two smears, that's all. Now, if she murdered her mother-in-law, there should be more blood on this dress. It shouldn't be smeared. How do you mean? First of all, the man in which the old lady was killed. Head was battered in. Must have bled profusely. No question about that. All right, go ahead. Whoever murdered the old lady must have stains all over their clothes. Here's the important part. Because of the nature of the wound, it would have stained in drops, not smears. Well, how can you tell the difference? Maybe these are drop stains on her desk? They're not. I checked them with a microscope. Only the higher ribs of the cloth are stained. The smears, nothing else. But a drop forms its own definite drop pattern and permeates the cloth. Soaks in. Uh Uh-huh.
3: No signs of that on her dress.
8: Not a one. Now, here's the silk scarf the old lady was strangled with. Yeah. Here's what I found in the knot tied in the scarf. A blonde hair, wavy. Old lady had dark hair. So does Miss Renard.
3: So does her boyfriend.
8: That's what I mean. This blonde hair is one of two things that didn't belong at that murder scene. What else you got? This here. What is it, Lee? Small piece of plastic. from A gun butt, I'd say. See here?
3: Uh-huh.
8: Mm-hmm. criss surface, and a little smooth area here. Yeah. The killer could have hit the old lady with the butt of a gun.
3: And a piece of the stock could have chipped off like this, huh? Miss Renard doesn't own a gun. He did her murder no. Well, where does that leave us?
8: I don't know, Joe. There's a the stuff you can't disregard it. Maybe you can explain it. Yeah. How? Well, first prove this dress isn't the one Mrs. Renard was wearing this morning. Then find the dress she did wear. We know she wore this when the dentist identified it, and so did two of the neighbors. That's what I mean. The dress is too clean. Doesn't belong. Yeah. And this blonde hair. This piece of gun butt. They don't belong either.
3: Well, you think she's innocent?
8: You're looking at the evidence. What do you think? <laughs>
3: 6 p.m. Saturday, November 5th. Ben and I went back to the office and met with Brennan Wiseman and Ed Backstrand. The open and shut case against Mrs. Renard was up in the air, but we still weren't sure that she was innocent of the murder of her mother-in-law. Ben and I drove to the Lincoln Heights jail and interviewed the suspect again. She agreed to submit to a lie detector test. We drove back to the office, contacted Sergeant Berger, the department's polygraph man, and set up a special test for the following day. The next morning, we met with Berger and formulated a list of key questions. And then we picked up Mrs. Renard and brought her to the third floor of the Old City Jail Building, the polygraph room. At 10.33 a.m., the test got underway. As usual, Sergeant Berger conducted the interview alone. Backstrand, Ben and I waited outside.
7: Well, um, how about Mrs. Renard's husband? Getting down yet?
2: He's due in around noon, Skipper.
7: Um, Hey, got a smoke? Yeah. Here you are, Ed. Yeah, thanks. What time is it now? 11.25. Here's burger now. That's it, Ed. What'd you get? I can study the chart a little more. The results are pretty well defined, though. How's it look? No reaction to the key
8: questions.
3: What's your opinion?
8: I don't think she did it.
1: You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. And in leading magazines this week, you'll see this authentic story. Headline, Fatima's sensational growth sets a record for long cigarettes. Then you'll read the actual reasons smokers give for changing to Fatima.
5: Fatima is different. It's mild and has a wonderful flavor. Fatima's best.
2: These are the words of Miss Pamela Bookman of New York, where Fatima has increased its smokers... 132%.
8: Fatima tastes much better than any other long cigarette. It's the best,
2: says Mr. James S. Winterhalter of Detroit, where Fatima smokers have increased 348%.
4: I like the flavor, and Fatima is mild. It's the best long cigarette.
2: That's the statement of Mrs. Mary C. Werdeman of Los Angeles, where Fatima has increased its smokers 545%. Yes. More and more long cigarette smokers every day agree. A change to Fatima is a change to the best. Enjoy Fatima yourself. Best of long cigarettes. 8 a.m.,
3: Monday, November 7th. Mrs. Renard was released from custody. We questioned her husband, Frank Renard, briefly. He could tell us nothing more than we already knew. Brennan and Wiseman were called back on the case, and together the four of us started over again from the beginning. We had a dead body, two pieces of physical evidence to work with, no idea how to fit them together, and no suspects. We went back to the Chavez Road neighborhood where the murdered woman lived and started pushing doorbells. We canvassed the neighborhood for three days and we uncovered one slim lead. He was selling
4: magazines, officer. Went door to door, right up the street here, young fellow.
3: Could you describe the man for us, please?
4: Nothing to talk about. Pasty face, pimply complexion, blonde hair. (laughs) 5.30
3: 5.30 p.m. Wednesday, November the 9th. Ben and I met with Brennan and Wiseman and head Backstrand's office to compare notes. Together, we had more than a dozen reports of the magazine salesman's presence in the neighborhood just prior to the murder of Mrs. Renard's mother-in-law. The various descriptions of the man, which we obtained from the people in the neighborhood, tallied closely.
7: About six feet, 170 pounds, pimply complexion, blonde hair, fast talker, about 25 years old.
3: Well, as we know, Skipper, he was the only stranger in the neighborhood last Saturday morning. Only one that people remember, anyway.
7: How close did you trace him to the Renard House? You got your list there, Brennan?
6: Yeah,
3: there you are. Thanks, let's see. Well, he picked up his tracks down on Floresta Street, sold a couple of descriptions there, then he headed up Lander's Avenue onto Chavez Road. Yeah. The Renards live at 2280 Chavez Road. That salesman talked to the woman at 2274 Chavez. That's three doors away from the Renards. Oh, uh, when has he seen there? Well, let me see. Where is that, Brennan?
7: Oh, on the 157
6: sheet, Joe. Didn't have enough room on the report. Oh,
3: yeah, here it is. Mrs. John Rico, 2274 Chavez. The guy was there about 11.45 Saturday morning.
7: Well, that puts him in the running. First time he ever showed in that neighborhood? First time, Skipper. Fresh kid, not a very good salesman. Here's
3: the name of the company he's working for, the Harrison News Distributors. You check with them? No, they're closed for the night. We'll call them the
7: first thing tomorrow. Good. Here's something else for you. I had a call from Frank Renard this afternoon. What'd he have to say? Seems in the excitement, just after the murder, Mrs. Renard overlooked a couple of things. What's that? Well, they're missing a yellow table model radio... radio in the bedroom where the old lady was killed. Yeah, well, that ties in with a robbery motive, and huh? Yeah, they're missing a ring, too. Belonged to Mrs. Renard. Topaz ring. It's supposed to be worth a little money. But she didn't notice it was gone until today. That's right.
6: You got the serial number on the radio?
7: Yeah, right here. Yeah, let's see. Yeah, Ben, here we are.
3: It's an Emerson model 511-180,000. 277609.
7: A lot of small radios in town. There's only one with that serial number on it. Track it down complete description of the topaz
3: ring and the serial numbers and description of the yellow table model radio were sent to the pawn shop detail. The information was then placed on the stolen property list and relayed to every pawn shop operator in the city. The next morning, Ben and I interviewed the manager of the Harrison News Distributing Company. There, the suspect had given his name as Sam Bricker. We checked out his home address. Turned out to be a gas station in North Hollywood. We took the suspect's job application blank with a specimen of his handwriting, and then we drove back to the office. Sam Bricker, we were unable to get a make on the name from the record bureau. We checked the cards and every known criminal who was catalogued in the oddity file as having a pimply complexion. None of them matched. That night we got out an APB and a radiogram. The suspect's trail led from one salesman's job to the next. On his last job, he gave his name as Albert Barry. His address is 1430 Palo Alto Drive. That was in the Echo Lake district. Ben and I drove out to check it. 1428? 1430. There it is, Jill. Yeah. At least it's not a gas station, huh? Come on. Tiresome, huh? Yeah, I could stand a change.
4: Yes, what is it?
3: We're looking for an Albert Barry, ma'am. Does he live here?
4: Mr. Barry, I'm sorry. He and his wife moved four days ago.
3: We identified ourselves as police officers and had the landlady, a Mrs. Catherine Hoffman, show us the apartment which Barry and his wife had occupied. It was still vacant. In one of the closets in the apartment, we found a cheap overnight bag. The lock on it was broken, and one of the seams had ripped.
4: I forgot about that old bag, and Mr. Barry told me I could throw it away.
3: Take a look. I'm in. Uh. How long has Barry been married? Do you know, Mrs. Hoffman? No,
4: I don't. But the way they acted, lovey-dovey all the time, I don't think they've been together long.
3: Hey,
7: you? Hmm? Look, some kind of an
3: identification tag. Yeah, let me see. It's up here. It's a tool disc. It looks like. Doesn't. It? Jameson Larabee, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania.
4: You're not after Mr. Barry, are you, officer? Yes, yes,
3: ma'am. We are. Did he leave a forwarding address?
4: I wish he did. I'm holding three letters for Mrs. Barry in my apartment right now.
3: May we see them, please?
4: Certainly. Would you step this way, please? My apartment's just across the hall. Yes, ma'am. Would you like a bottle of beer or something?
3: No, ma'am. Thanks.
4: Let's see. I thought i put... Yes, here they are. Three of them, Sergeant. From her folks, I think. Mrs. Berry's from Fresno.
3: Oh, that's good. I want to copy down this return address, ma'am. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. That's C.K. Ulrich. U-L-R-I-C-K. 525 North Lamona, Fresno. Yeah, I got it. Where you are, Ms. Hoffman? By the way, did the Barrys say they'd call for their mail?
4: Mrs. Barry did. That's why I'm holding on to it.
3: All right. Just one more question. Do you remember if Mr. and Mrs. Barry had a radio?
4: Yes, they did. A small one.
3: Do you remember what brand it was?
4: No, I don't. It had a yellow case. That's all I remember.
3: Before we left, we called Ed Backstrand, and he had an immediate stakeout placed at the apartment house in case the Berries returned to pick up their mail. Ben and I went back to the office and placed a call to the Pittsburgh Police Department. We gave them the description and the number of the tool disc, which we'd found in Barry's old suitcase. They said they'd check with the Jameson Larrabee Company in the morning, and then they'd call us back. That night, Ben and I drove to Fresno and checked in at the police station up there. Two officers were assigned to stake out the Ulrich home. We interviewed Mr. Ulrich, who identified himself as Albert Barry's father-in-law. He told us his daughter had married the murder suspect eight months before, and he gave us pictures of Barry taken at the wedding. Ulrich told us that he'd catch a Santa Fe train out of Fresno the next morning. He wanted to be in Los Angeles to take his daughter home when Barry was apprehended. It was almost 2 a.m. when Ben and I left Fresno and started back for Los Angeles. We checked in at the office at 10 minutes past 8 the next morning. At 8.35, the call came through from the Pittsburgh Police Department. What did they say, Joe? It was a tool disc, all right. and Larrabee Company, issued 18 months ago to one of their workers. they give a name? Albert Barry. <laughs> 11 a.m. Monday, December the 5th. One month to the day since the 62-year-old woman had been beaten to death. The pictures of Barry and his wife, which had been taken at their wedding, were printed up in wholesale lots and distributed to all points. Mr. Ulrich, Barry's father-in-law, arrived in town and got himself a hotel room. We waited. There was no report from the stakeout at the apartment house. We checked back in at the office at five minutes to one. I'll get it. Homicide, Friday.
2: This is Mr. Ulrich, Sergeant. I just got a call from my wife in Fresno. I thought you'd want to know.
3: What's that?
8: The wife got a letter from Norma. They're living in South Pasadena, an apartment.
3: You got the address there? Yes, sir. That's what the wife called about. It's 134 Norway Terrace. When was the letter mailed, do you know?
7: Wife said it was postmarked December 3rd, day before yesterday.
3: Get your coat on, Ulrich. We'll be right over. Ben and I picked up Mr. Ulrich at his hotel and drove to the South Pasadena address. Barry and his wife had the apartment on the top floor. Neither of them were at home. The landlord let us in with a pass key. In the bedroom, we found a small yellow radio. We checked the serial numbers. They matched. It was the same radio stolen from the Renard house. In the bedroom closet, we found two suitcases. We checked through them.
7: Yeah, nothing in this one,
3: Joe. Oh, here we are. Look at these. What are they, Sergeant? Pair of plastic gun butts.
8: Let's see, Joe.
3: One of them's been chipped, see? Sergeant. Hmm? Somebody coming up the stairs. All right, let's get in the living room. Be quiet.
5: Dad, what are you doing here? Who are these men?
3: Police, Norma. They want Albert. He killed a woman. <laughs> it's all right, Norma. It'll be all right. Did you know your husband killed a woman, Miss Barry?
5: He just told me last Saturday. We've been running away for a month now, moving all the time. I wanted to know why. So he told me. He said I was in it as much as he was, and I'm tired of running. I'm
3: why did he kill her? Did he tell you that?
5: He said he broke in the house. He didn't know anyone was home. The old woman was in the bedroom. She started to cry out. He had a gun. He hit her with it.
3: Where's your husband now?
5: I don't know. He said he'd come home for dinner. About five.
3: I bought the groceries. What time you got, Ben?
7: Uh, half past three. Um, that ring you're wearing, Miss Barry. Did your husband give you that?
5: Yes, why?
3: What kind of a stone is that?
5: Topaz. Bert gave it to me. Why?
3: Nothing. We'll wait. Five o'clock came and went. Barry failed to show. Five-thirty. Ulrich started to get nervous. Six o'clock. Six-thirty. No sign of Barry. I went to the window and kept an eye on the street below. At 6.45, a light green Nash sedan pulled to a stop in front of the apartment house. A man got out and went into the main floor entrance.
5: Bert. I'll let him in.
3: All right. How long have you had the new car?
5: A couple of days. Bert got it credit. What do you want me to do now?
3: Does he have a key to the apartment here? He lost it. Okay, when he rings, let him in. Just act natural. Ben? Yeah, yeah. You cover me. I'll get the cuffs on him. Right.
8: Bird? Look out, Joe! <laughs>
7: All right, drop it, Barry.
3: <laughs> okay, man.
7: Yeah, he's fast with a gun.
5: Nice looking, isn't he, Sergeant? You'd never think he'd kill anybody.
3: Come on, let's take him in.
5: I love him. I still love him. <laughs> but you're a cop, you wouldn't understand.
3: That's right, I wouldn't understand. I'm a cop.
0: The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to
1: protect the innocent. On February 16th, 1947, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 82, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment,
0: the results of that trial. Earlier tonight, you heard the reports of amazing increases in Fatima smokers from New York to Los Angeles. Yes, all over the country, Fatima
2: is doubling and redoubling its sales. And here's reason one. Fatima is the long cigarette that contains an essential ingredient of all the very popular cigarettes, Turkish tobacco. Reason two. Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. Reason three. To millions of smokers, the name Fatima has always stood for the best in cigarette quality. Smoke Fatima, the best of all long cigarettes.
1: Albert Ralph Berry was tried and convicted of murder in the first degree. His wife, Norma Berry, was found innocent of the charge that she harbored a criminal. She was returned home with her father. Barry was executed in the lethal gas chamber at the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a new series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the Office of Acting Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police
0: Department. Tonight's program is dedicated to Private Hubert W. Estes of the District of Columbia Metropolitan Police Department who, on the night of May 16th, 1947, gave his life so that yours might be more secure.
2: Fatima Cigarettes, best of long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet, portion transcribed from Los Angeles. Be sure to hear songs
0: by Morton Downey, tonight on NBC. The story you're about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent.
1: Fatima Cigarettes, best of long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet.
0: You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to Juvenile Bureau... A rash of crimes has broken out in your city. Suspicion points to an organized gang of juveniles. Your job,
2: stop them. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. It's the long cigarette that contains an essential ingredient of all the very popular cigarettes, Turkish tobacco. That's why you see the Turkey symbols on the attractive gold and yellow Fatima package. That's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima doubles and redoubles its smokers. Yes, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima.
1: Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, You will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in
3: action. It was Sunday, March 27th. It was windy in Los Angeles. We are working a night watch out of Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Backstrand, Chief of Detectives. My name's Friday. I was on the way up from the juvenile bureau, and it was 11.25 p.m. when I got to the receiving hospital, room 5, the treatment room.
6: Everything happens on Sunday nights, eh, huh,
3: Joe? Yeah. How's the kid making out, Doc?
6: The one arm is cut up badly. Nothing fatal, though. How'd it happen?
3: That's what I'd like to find out. Can I talk to him?
6: If you want, don't press him, though. He's had a bad shock. All right. <laughs> Officer here to talk to you, son.
8: I can't. Tell him I
2: can't
3: talk, please. Just a few routine questions, son. You're gonna have to answer them sooner or later.
2: Please. Can't you see what's happened already? I can't tell you anything.
3: Jack Monroe, is that your real name? Yeah. How old are you? I'll be 16 next July. Where do you live? I can't tell you, you know that. Now let me alone, will you? Let me alone. You've been running around with that gang of kids on Spring Street, haven't you? The big timers, isn't that what they call themselves? I don't know anything about it. Believe me, I can't talk. You tipped us off about the burglary they were going to pull tonight. Is that where they knifed you?
8: Look, will you believe me? I can't tell you anything, not anything. Please.
3: He's still shaky, Joe. <laughs> All right, Doc. Well, Jack, we'll talk about it later when you feel better.
2: You see what they've done to me already? They said next time they'd kill me.
3: Juvenile Bureau, Friday. Yeah. Yeah, okay, friend. Goodbye.
7: How'd you make out, Joe?
3: Not very good, Ben. Captain Bowling come in yet?
7: He checked in while you were gone. Wants to see us. Okay. Did the kid tell you who knifed him?
3: No, I scared him good. He wouldn't tell me a thing.
9: Did you get a line on the boy's parents, Friday?
3: I got a hold of his father. He's on his way in. How's the boy? Bad knife wounds. Nothing fatal. You know the boy?
2: Not till this afternoon, Captain. He tipped us off about a burglary a gang of young kids were supposed to pull tonight.
3: Go through? No, but two hours ago, this Monroe kid was found in a vacant lot down on Olympic, cut up pretty bad. The gang must have pegged him. How long is it going to take you to break that up? We're just starting to get a light on them, Bob.
9: Must be nearly 100 in that gang. And everyone of them working hard. Take a look at the pin map over here. This spot here, look at
3: it. All the jobs pulled during the last month, huh?
9: The last five weeks, up to date. Red tabs for burglary, must be more than a hundred. The robberies, green pens, count them, at least 50. And there's five more orange ones I added for the weekend, auto thefts. You bet those kids are working hard.
7: We got a lead on them. That's more than we had last week. You
9: have to push it harder. Here's the big reason. This uh, line of pins, brown and black. Purse snatchings. Purse snatching and rape, 26 of them in the past five weeks. They're pretty well concentrated in one area here. That's right.
3: Now, what's the lead you're working on? Right there on the pin map, Gab. Huh? Well, these two blocks here, Bob, where Franco Alley intersects Spring Street. Well, what about it? Well, it's the only clear area for a dozen blocks around. There's not a colored pin on it, you see? Yeah. Now, all the rest of the pins, the robberies, burglaries, attacks, they all seem to branch out from this same spot right here in definite patterns, Franco Alley and Spring Street.
9: You figure that's the focal point for the gang?
3: Well, it's got all the mark. For instance? Well, we've been checking that neighborhood for a week. We got it narrowed down to one place. Right on the corner of Franco and Spring. What is it? It's a soda fountain. It's pretty typical. Only it stays open all night and it gets a pretty good play from kids. It's
7: a regular hangout, Captain. Pretty tough youngsters. None of them over 18. Who runs the place? A
3: guy named Eddie Ramsey, small-time con man. Had a run-in with him when we worked bunco detail. I remember the name. Smart mouth. Tried to give us trouble when we talked to some kids in there last night. He's got a place set up for him in the back of the store, kind of a club room. That sounds like a good lead. What are you doing about it? Well... Just a minute.
8: Captain Bowling.
9: Yeah? Who? Yeah, we'll be right down. The Monroe kid, his father's downstairs, cursing every one of us. What's his problem? Can't understand how his boy got into trouble.
3: Come on, Ben, let's tell him.
8: What kind of a city do we have when we can't allow our children out on the street without being stabbed or shot? What's our great police force doing when this is going on? I'd like an answer if you got one. i demand an answer.
3: We got an answer for you, Mr. Monroe. Will you sit down?
8: My boy's lying in there in that hospital bed, cut to pieces. What did you do to prevent it? Tell me.
3: You tell us, Mr. Monroe. what you do to prevent it?
8: I'm no cop. That's your job. I pay my taxes and I help pay your salary.
3: We look out for your kids, but we don't raise them. What are you talking about? Just a minute, Mr. Monroe. Answer me this. How old is your son, Jack? He's
8: 16, I think. Why?
3: you know what he does with his spare time, where he spends his nights?
8: Of course I do. He's at home. Some nights he goes to the library.
3: Then you don't know much about your son, Mr. Monroe. For the past month, four nights out of five, he's been hanging around with a gang down at a soda fountain on Spring Street. He's down there as late as 2 a.m.
8: He says he goes to the library. How do I know? I'm a busy man.
3: Did you know that your son is mixed up with that gang? He's
8: not mixed up with a gang. A
3: bunch of small-time thieves, but they're growing. They started with purse snatching, breaking in parked cars, burglarizing candy stores.
8: You don't know what you're talking about. Wait
3: a minute, about. please. And then they took up robbery, stealing cars, beating up girls, women, attacking them.
8: You're crazy. Jack's not that kind. He's
3: part of that gang, and right now we hold all of them responsible.
8: My boy wouldn't do anything like that.
3: He's a member of that gang. He told us. They're the ones that knifed him tonight.
8: That's a lie. Jack's not mixed up with anything like that.
3: You believe anything you want, Mr. Monroe. We're going to protect your boy as much as we can, but don't expect us to raise him for you. You better take a free piece of advice. You
8: keep your advice. Jack's not in this. You can't prove he is.
3: We're not out to prove anything right now. But you catch up with that boy of yours. Keep him off the streets before it's too late.
8: Are you threatening me?
3: No, sir, advising you. Next time we might meet at the morgue. 1 a.m. Monday, March 28th. A detail of 50 officers from Juvenile Bureau and Metropolitan Division were deployed for 16 blocks along Figueroa Street. At five minutes past one, they started to move south over an appointed area. In the space of half an hour, 18 young kids... None of them over 17 years old were picked up off the streets and brought to the second floor at 1335 Georgia Street, the Juvenile Bureau. Four of the youngsters were girls. At 1.45 a.m., Ben and I checked the soda fountain on the corner of Franco Alley and Spring Street.
8: (laughs) Same bunch, Joe.
3: Business as usual. Yeah, come on.
2: Hey, Teddy! The Bulls! They're back again. Same guys.
6: We're back and tell Eddie. Hey, look, why
3: do you guys have to keep tracking us, huh? You'd think we were crooks or something. You were here the last time we checked in, Teddy. You ever go home? Sure, when I'm tired. I ain't tired. Uh, What's the matter? That's your money on the table there. Sure, it's my money. You want to borrow a buck? (laughs) $28. That's a lot of money for a boy your age. You keep pretty late hours, son. You have to go to school in the morning?
2: Maybe. I can sit here, can not I? It's free country. I'm drinking coffee. You gonna make me on that?
3: (laughs) You've been drinking more than coffee. Where's your driver's license? Every time the same thing. (laughs) There. March 10th, 1933, 16 years old. Are
2: they giving you trouble, Ted? (laughs) Eddie's on his way out. What's your name? Jones. Clyde Jones. Huh, Ted? (laughs) Sure. He's got money, too. Rich family.
3: (laughs) You can save the smart talk, boys. Any of your pals in the back room?
6: Uh, What's the trouble now, Sergeant? How many times a week do we get a checkup?
8: Go ahead, Eddie. Read them off.
3: We told you the last time, Ramsey. Clean up your place here, or we'll ride your back till you do.
6: I told you the last time, Sergeant. There's nothing wrong with my place.
3: It's almost 2 o'clock in the morning. You got a dozen underage kids hanging around here doing nothing. Some of them have been drinking. School boys.
2: Better to have them in here than hanging around outside in the street. I keep an eye on them You're not the guardian, Ramsey This time of night they've got no business in here or on the street alone
3: That's your opinion, huh? That's the law, Ramsey now, either you shut down that back room and keep these kids out of here late at night Or we'll go after your license
6: You don't scare me, Sergeant <laughs> You can't prove
3: a thing A couple of these kids have juvenile records They're on probation We can tag you for contributing
6: You still don't scare me Now,
2: why don't you
3: leave the kids alone? That's right, Eddie. Read them off. Ben, get Benson and Bell. Roger. If you won't clean up your place, Ramsey, we'll do it for you. Yeah? What are you gonna do? We're pulling these boys in, all of them. 2.25 a.m. Monday, March 28th. The dragnet operation had netted 30 juveniles. 26 boys, 4 girls. 24 of the children were between the ages of 16 and 17. They were lodged in the assembly room at the Georgia Street Juvenile Bureau. The other half dozen were 13- and 15-year-olds. They were taken to the juvenile hall at 1369 Henry Street. At 2.43 a.m., we met with Captain Bowling. Oh, checked in. 30
9: of them. All right, in the morning, we filed petitions to have every one of these cases brought to the attention of the juvenile court. Make a note of it. Okay, Bob. For the kids with records, ask for detention from the probation department.
3: Right. We'll call their parents in the morning.
9: Call them now. They've got some explaining to do.
3: By 6 a.m., all but three of the children's parents had shown up. To most of them, it was nothing new. Their kids had been there before, they'd be there again. They took the lecture from the juvenile officers calmly. As long as it didn't mean trouble for them, they wouldn't worry. When they got their children home, they would reprimand them, not for running the streets, but for being picked up by the police. Ben and I had seen the cycle of the young criminals start before, a hundred times over. It had a lot of different endings, most of them sour. During the next week that followed, we booked an average of a dozen juvenile delinquents every night. The clampdown continued. So did the crime wave.
9: Ten burglaries, four robberies, eight car thefts, six purse etchings, three assaults on women. One week's work.
2: Picked up a new angle on Ramsey today, Captain. He might be fencing for the gang.
3: Who gave you the tip-off?
9: One of our informants.
3: Ramsey's brother lives out in the valley. He's supposed to be pushing the stuff.
9: You check him out?
3: Yeah, couldn't get a thing on him. Well, that might explain what attracts the kids to that soda fountain. It explains those $20 bills the kids are flashing. They steal and rob, and then they sell the loot to Ramsey for nothing. Another thing. Ramsey
2: keeps his place open all night, and there's no reason to. He doesn't get that much trade. It's only from a young gang that hangs around there. You question the kids. How do they account for having all that money?
3: Well, most of them say Ramsey lends it to them. They say they pay him back a little at a time. I think he's fencing for the kids.
9: Have you tried to get his license? No luck, Captain. We can't prove a thing against him. And we'll do it the hard way.
3: Sweat it out. That night, we drove out to Ramsey Soda Fountain and asked him again to clean up his place, to keep the young kids out after 10 o'clock at night, to stop lending them money. He refused. There was nothing we could do. His business was a public place. He could not be held responsible for any of his patrons. In the next 10 days that followed, Ben and I haunted the sidewalk outside the soda fountain. We questioned every youngster as they entered and left. We made more than a dozen arrests. Many of the kids had been drinking heavily. We found some of them under the influence of narcotics. But Ramsey was still in the clear. The crime wave continued sporadically. Ben and I waited for our chance. It was a long time coming. Thursday, April 14th. We had dinner at Johnny Koken's place, and it was 10.35 p.m. when we checked back in at the office.
2: Hot grab it, Joe. Yeah. The terminal on Market Street, a 459 in shooting. A terminal in Market
3: Street, a 459. Let's go. He was approximately 5 feet 4 inches tall, 125 pounds, brown hair, brown eyes, slight build, fair complexion. He was wearing blue jeans and a corduroy jacket. We found him between a row of packing cases at the rear of the warehouse at Terminal and Market Streets. There was a single bullet hole on his forehead just above the left eye. There was a 38 revolver near his right hand. The watchman told us how it happened.
8: He broke in the back of the warehouse, Sergeant. She wanted to shoot it out with me. Here's his ID card. Fell out of his pocket. Teddy Cameron, age 15. Dear God. A kid. I didn't know, Sergeant. He didn't either. He thought he was grown up. <laughs>
1: listening to Dragnet for the solution to an actual case from official police files. Now here's the solution to many of your Christmas shopping problems. If your friends
2: smoke a long cigarette, give the best of long cigarettes.
1: Give Fatima and all is well. Fatima.
2: The long cigarette that contains an essential ingredient of all the very popular cigarettes, Turkish tobacco.
1: Give Fatima and all is well.
2: The cigarette that has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette.
1: Give Fatima and all is well. Fatima.
2: The cigarette that has doubled and redoubled in popularity. Here are the authentic reports. New York Division.
0: Fatima sales up 132%.
2: Chicago Division.
0: Fatima sales up 453%.
2: Los Angeles Division.
0: Fatima sales up. 545%.
2: 545%. More and more smokers agree, Fatima is the best of long cigarettes. So, enjoy Fatima yourself and give Fatima for Christmas in the attractive golden yellow carton. Everyone who smokes Fatima says that this great new long cigarette is the best of all long cigarettes. <laughs>
3: Los Angeles Police Department, Form 311, Dead Body Report, Type, Gunshot, DR Number, 437695, Victim, Theodore Cameron, Residence Address, 960 Charter Street, Date and Time of Death, Thursday, April 14th, 10:35 p.m., Place. Terminal on Market Streets, South State Warehouse. Cause of death, gunshot. Motive or reason, attempted burglary. Time discovered, 10.40 p.m. Removed to County Morgue. Discovered by Carl Heiber Night Watchman. Identified by Barbara Cameron... Sister. Description of victim. Male. Caucasian. Age fifteen. Height. Weight. So and so. Occupation, student, descent, English, and a witness. Mm, signed Joe Friday. Serial number 2288. Age fifteen.
7: Ready, Joe? Hmm? And Cameron boy's sister.
2: She's waiting in oh. the next room.
3: Yeah. Now let's go. Is she taking it hard? Yeah. Morning, Miss Cameron. Good morning. We won't keep you long, just a few routine questions.
5: Yes, all right.
3: Miss Cameron, how many are there in your family?
5: There were three of us Teddy, Mike, and me. Mother and father are dead. I work. Teddy and Mike go to school. I mean, Mike Tuss.
8: How old is
3: your brother Mike, Miss Cameron?
5: He's 14.
3: You're the sole supporter of your two brothers? Yes. Do you have any idea who the boys were your brother Ted used to run around with?
5: I don't know them by name. I remember seeing a couple of them once or twice. Mike could know, I think. He and Ted were pretty close brothers.
2: Do you know if Ted mixed with a gang of kids down on Spring Street?
5: Maybe Mike would know that. Sergeant Teddy wasn't a bad boy. He wasn't a bum. None of us are. I tried to raise the boys like Ma told me. It wasn't easy. We made out.
3: Yes, I understand, Miss Cameron.
5: My salary didn't have too much, but we got by.
3: Yeah.
5: I figured on getting married. I'm 31. It'd be good for the boys, especially Teddy. He's dead, isn't he? Yeah couldn't be in two places at once. Hold a job and watch the kids. But that's why I thought maybe a husband...
3: I'm sorry to press, Miss Cameron. Do you think your brother Mike can tell us about that Spring Street gang?
5: i Mike, it now.
3: Where can we find him?
5: Staying at a friend's house. I've got the address in my bag. Here. That's 2514. I don't write numbers too well.
3: Thank you, Miss Cameron. You've been very helpful. I'll get somebody to drive you home.
5: Do I have to go? Would it be all right if I just sit here for a while?
3: That's all right.
5: I'm tired. Real tired.
3: Twenty-five, fourteen West Serrano Street. That was the address Barbara Cameron had given us. It was the home of Mr. and Mrs. Jean Brewer, high school friends of the dead boy's sister. We talked to Mike Cameron. He told us that his brother Teddy had been running around with a gang down on Spring Street. He identified Ramsey Soda Fountain as the hangout. It was 2:25 p.m. when we got back to Georgia Street
7: Juvenile Bureau. Hi, guy. Okay. Juvenile Bureau, Romero. Yeah, hold on, I'll call him. You, Joe.
3: Thanks. Friday. Joe, this is Canfield in burglary. Yeah, Homer. You're working that Cameron case, aren't you? Yeah. I just got a report on one you might be interested in, out of the same neighborhood. Distillery prowl. What do you got on it? Looks like a juvenile
2: M.O. They got away with seven cases of scotch whiskey. Expensive
3: stuff. Okay, we'll hop on it.
2: Bubeck Warehouse. Crocker at 7th.
3: Miss Elizabeth Rice was the auditor in charge at the Bubeck Warehouse. We located her on the mezzanine office row. It was her job to keep a running inventory on all incoming and outgoing liquor stock. She knew her job well.
5: As you know, Sergeant Friday, each and every bottle of distilled spirits carries a United States Internal Revenue stamp. Yes, ma'am. Each stamp carries a serial number together with the name of the firm to whom the stamps are issued. Well,
7: Miss Rice, in the stuff is missing, the stamp on each bottle carries the case number. Is that right?
5: That's right. Now, what did I tell you? Oh, yes, I have it right here. Seven cases of high-grade blended Scotch whiskey. Now, I have a bottle identical to those in the missing cases. Yes, I see. Now, if you'll just look here. Yes, ma'am. The number on this stamp here 36A2279956, followed by the firm name.
3: Uh, could you give us the numbers of the stolen cases?
5: Now, I have them typed out for you right here. Seven cases, 12 bottles to the case. Canada Dry Incorporated. Four of the red label and three of the black label. Johnny Walker. All
3: right, thank you very much, Miss Wright.
5: And you think that this might be a juvenile case, Sergeant?
3: Yes, ma'am, we do. Seven cases, that's close to $600, isn't it?
5: We've lost a great deal more than that, Sergeant. The insurance company makes up for the liquor loss. Yes, ma'am. Those youngsters, who makes up for them?
3: Ben and I left the Bubeck warehouse with a list of serial numbers of the seven cases of stolen liquor. We headed back for the juvenile bureau. We figured that there was a strong possibility that the Spring Street gang was responsible for the warehouse liquor theft. How were they disposing of the stolen property? That was the key question we had to answer. Ben and I had a hunch and a tip from an informant that the young gang was operating under the guidance of a fence, a man or woman whose job it is to dispose of stolen property. The gang members were close to Ramsey at the soda fountain. Ramsey was the logical suspect.
2: All right, now suppose they did steal the liquor. Suppose Ramsey's a fence. What's he done with the stuff?
3: I don't think he's turned it this fast, if he's turned it at all.
2: He wouldn't keep it at the soda fountain, no liquor license.
3: And we've been around too much. He wouldn't keep it in his house. He lives in the rear of the fountain. That's too hot.
2: Only leaves one other location that we know about.
3: His brother's place in the valley. <laughs> It was five minutes to ten when we turned left off Ventura Boulevard onto Sepulveda. Ramsey's brother had a small farm about a mile and a half off the highway. It was a modest white frame house planted squarely in the center of an acre of ground. An unpaved driveway led off to the left of the house to the garage. Pull up here, huh?
7: Yeah, okay. Yeah, it looks kind of quiet, no lies.
3: Let's go. mud sticks to everything. Now, where's the doorbell? Oh, here it is. You got your flashlight? Yeah, what? Here's a note somebody left. Oh, it's on the bum again. Here, I'll strike a match. Okay. Can you hold it a little closer? And can you read it? Yeah. Harry, wife and I have gone to the drive-in theater. Before you put the truck away, get three... Can you hold that match closer? Then? Oh, no, wait a minute. All right. Yeah. Get three cases out of the garage and take them into town. Ed is waiting. Please try to make it by eleven thirty tonight. Let's see, it's signed George. The address is here. And there's a the garage. Yeah, come on.
8: Three cases. Could be eggs, Joe.
3: If it is, we wasted a trip. Oh, no, I'm out of matches, Joe. All right, here, use mine. What was that? Checking. Come on. See anything? No. There goes the light. Just a minute, I'll strike another one. You can save your matches. We found it. We found five cases of Scotch whiskey on the floor of the garage. We checked the serial numbers against the warehouse list. They matched. We went back to the car and called communications. We had an immediate stakeout placed on George Ramsey's place, and then we headed back for the city. It was 11.20 p.m. when we got to the address we found on the note.
6: It's about time, Harry. Hello, Ramsey. We can do
3: without the music.
6: What's your problem this time? You're almost
2: out of scotch, Ramsey.
6: Serial numbers check out, Jim. Sorry I can't offer you a drink. We're too old to drink here, aren't we, Ramsey? Where's your phone? You want to invite somebody? (laughs) You can see we're out of booze. You got a phone? In the hall. Ben, call the office. Yeah.
3: All right, what's it all about? We've been out to your brother's place. What happened to the other two cases? You drink them here?
6: I gave it to the kids. What are you looking at me like that for, Sergeant?
2: Anything wrong, Eddie?
6: Party's over, kid.
0: The story you have just heard was true, only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On June 5th,
1: 1949, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 74, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial.
0: Earlier tonight, you heard the reports of amazing increases in Fatima smokers from New York to Los Angeles. Yes, all over the country, Fatima is doubling and redoubling its sales.
2: And here's reason one. Fatima is the long cigarette that contains an essential ingredient of all the very popular cigarettes, Turkish tobacco.
0: Reason two.
2: Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. Reason three. To millions of smokers, the name Fatima has always stood for the best in cigarette quality. Smoke Fatima, the best of all long cigarettes.
1: Edward and George Ramsey were tried and convicted in Superior Court of receiving stolen property. After serving their terms as prescribed by law in the state penitentiary, they will be returned to the county jail where they will serve a one-year term for contributing to the delinquency of minors. You have just heard Dragnet, a new series of authentic cases from official files technical advice for Dragnet comes from the Office of Acting Chief of
0: Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Honoring the city of Greenwich, state of Connecticut and the men who make up the Greenwich Police Department, another of America's great law enforcement agencies. One of these men, Chief John M. Gleason, FBI National Police Academy graduate, who dedicates his life to making yours more secure.
2: Fatima Cigarettes, the best of long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles.